Hey, did you get some new Abyss coffee? Hey, I did actually, and uh, and if you'll notice, I'm drinking from this beautiful handcrafted Abyss coffee mug with oh, that a little is... diver's helmet on it. Um, I've got a couple of those babies, and they're they're pretty sweet. That is a really kick-ass mug. In fact, this is really similar to the mug that you and I were looking at getting for Great Dive Podcast it a is. couple years ago. It is. We were looking at these, this style of mug. In it today is a Kraken again. I've got Kraken, but they, I bought a pound of Kraken, and I got a couple little samplers of Hydra and um, Calypso, which is really nice. They threw in. Go over to the abyscoffeeco.com, people. Put in code TGDP. Beautiful. Let Angie know we sent you for some good coffee, good Michigan roasted coffee. Beautiful imagery and smooth taste. That that Kraken's really good. It's a fan favorite of theirs. Well, I'm a fan, and it's my favorite. So you're, you are correct, sir. You know what wasn't smooth recently was the visibility. It was smooth and creamy if you're talking about it was milky and, and downright less than stellar. I mean, there were, there were times where there were, was, you know, 15, 20 feet of visibility. There was times there was 5 to 10 feet of visibility. Right. Yeah, there were Which, portions that were decent in the 20-foot range. I don't yeah, think I mean, we'd, I mean, I could say we had better than that anywhere, though. No, I, I don't think we ever had better than 20 feet anywhere. It reminded me of diving Lower Lake Huron in, like, 1992. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and uh, for some reason, I'd say like everywhere I've been since about early July diving locally, at least, whether it's big water or little lake or even the quarry, there's been uh, some kind of milkiness going on in the water. Yeah, which which has got me excited for this coming weekend where we're going to be up in northern Lake Huron where, where things should be much better up there. I hope so. I hope we don't have that milkiness, but it was at the quarry a bit. It was, it's in our local lakes, and uh, and it was there at the Thumb. But you know, it gets me to thinking that if you have the discussion and conversation with somebody on Thursday about going out onto the dive boat on Saturday, and you let them know that it's going to be five to ten feet of visibility, yeah. The, the excitement level for wanting to drive the two hours to get on the dive boat at 7.30 in the morning to head out, you know, uh, into the big lake, a uh, 40-minute boat ride out to jump into 10 feet of visibility doesn't sound very intriguing. No. Because, because the assumption is it's going to be a shitty dive. We're not going to be able to see anything. It's going to suck. But... Uh, Here's where, you know, uh, you know, the old master of manual comes at it again, Brando. And I mean, you master. come away with some photos that were magical. Magical. Magical is an understatement, I would say. Because when you look <laughs> at those post, the, the photos that, that uh, you walked away with, that didn't look like five to 10 to 20 feet at best visibility it didn't look like what we saw uh with our own human eyeballs 
Yeah. Right. Because what we saw with our own human eyeballs was definitely... It's like what the fuck? People kicking, kicking up silt. Well, I mean, yeah, there was a yeah. lot of people on that boat. Yeah. You know, people everywhere. Um, but you were able to work some wonders, even though that, even though we were swimming around in bad visibility, or what would be considered bad visibility, especially in a day where the the Great Lakes shipwreck diving is revered right. for being like these 40, magical hundred foot feet of, of this. yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can pull it out with the cameras, especially with the cameras. I think, um, you know, even like a GoPro taking video, you always, you know, you, you're down there videoing and uh, recording your dive. And then uh, you're thinking, it was crappy viz. It was garbage. I'm not going to have anything. And then, yeah, you put it up on the big screen and it looks like viz is twice as good as what you uh you had down there so i mean i, I tell you yeah that gopro 10 it, it's amazing what what that does for <laughs> apparently clearing up the visibility for you right it's amazing what the those sensors can can pick out as far as the in in that little bit of light in that little bit of uh reflection of the light spectrum um, yeah, and works. I'm talking with a guy yesterday who's who actively dives the St. Clair River, and he said Viz has been down out there, mm-hmm. and, and you get people, you know, all over, you know, uh, diving out on the east coast of the states, diving out on the west coast of the states, where you can get into days of a lot of just stuff in the water that makes it like you're diving in a vat of soup or coffee or you know whatever milk the, the water analogy yeah creamed uh, creamed milk a little water it's actually creamed like water coffee right it's like water with uh somebody poured some cream about the same amount as that would be in your coffee in it so and it just goes to show you i mean if you can get in the water with 10 feet of visibility which generally doesn't sound like an appetizing amount of visibility to, to make the, the trek out to do the dive. If you have a little bit of time and creativity, you can walk away with some really good photos still. And even like what we're doing where we're shooting primarily wide angle photography out here. Oh yeah. I mean, we don't have uh, like the colorful, the abundance of colorful marine life down there. Like you would find in an ocean, you know, where you, on a bad viz day, you, you'd pop on your macro lens and uh, go for sh- shooting those close-up macro shots of the beautiful colors of the different uh, marine life. But we don't have that. We really don't have that. And the marine life we do have is a little skittish. They're not going to pose for you, you know. Right. We don't have any anemones that are staying still. Right. Yeah, <laughs> anything that we're going to get up close corals. to is going yeah. to swim away. <laughs> Yeah, all that, the little tiny stuff they have in, you know, say, what is that, Lembe is a big macro place. Uh, right. We definitely don't have that in our <laughs> local freshwater lakes. Although, that being said, I mean, there is opportunity for macro out in the uh, freshwater area. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. But and, it, and there, right, if you've got, you know, eight, nine, ten feet of visibility, it's not and you're deal. working in an area of, six seven inches 10 feet of visibility is perfectly fine yeah i mean you could have two feet of vis and you can still get out there and do uh you can you can bring back some decent macro shots for sure in in a couple foot of vis 
But if you're trying to take a big, wide-angled shot, right, that adds a whole new level of complexity into capturing a photo. Right. Our, our dives are shipwreck dives, right? We want to capture... To me, I like to put a diver in with the shipwreck. I like to capture the environment and give give some scale to the picture and uh, to the image. And um, in order to do that, you need a you need a wide angle lens and a dome port. And what that does, you know, having those those two working together allows you to get closer to your subject underwater, which minimizes that poor visibility water, minimizes the amount of that between your subject and your, your focal plane. And um, that's how you can pull that stuff off underwater. You need to be able to minimize the space, and that's what the dome port and the wide-angle lens do. So having the right lens is critical for getting the right shots. And then the other thing, which is kind of a, an absolute necessity underwater, I'm coming to learn, but it can also, if you don't know what you're doing with it, uh, note to James, who's still learning, uh, <laughs> is you got to have light. Got to have right? light, baby. If you're going to take a, a photo, it's all about controlling light. Well, that's what photography is, is, is writing with light or drawing with light, however you want to translate graphy. But, uh, yeah, you've got you've to bring some light if you want some color. You've got to bring some light if you want to uh, get other than silhouettes, right? (laughs) Silhouettes are fine if that's the image you're going for, but if you want to see the expression on your partner's face, on the diver's face, or you want to get a little bit of the color of the actual wreck and uh, the scuba equipment your diver's wearing and whatnot, you need to bring your own light down there because it's it's getting filtered out the deeper you go. You know that it's basic uh, scuba 101. We start losing light, you know, reds, oranges, yellows, that kind of thing. Right. And and even if you're doing what you're saying uh, of, you know, not necessarily looking for all the the complexity of the colors themselves, you still need to bring light to create some contrast. Right. In the image itself so that everything isn't just a silhouette. Right. Because, again, as you get down deeper... There's less and less light. There's less and less available colors of the light spectrum, that's for sure. But that's because there's less light, <laughs> totally, you know. So you've got to bring your own. And um, when you start working with that in poor visibility, you got to remember that light is going to reflect off of anything in the water column between you, you know, between your subject and your focal plane. It's going to reflect. And depending on how it reflects and where it reflects is, going to determine what your sensor picks up which means that's going to determine what's on the image which is the whole concept of driving in the snowstorm and turning on your bright lights right. right to help you see better but it actually makes it worse right it's because of the reflection of the light coming right back at you right that's why you turn on those little ones at the base that kind of keep the keep the light beam down at the ground and not up at eye level which is reflecting every Every snowflake is getting reflected directly into your eye versus if you've got them a little offset, not making a, uh, an angle of incidence, that would be called an angle of incidence where the light hits the snowflake and bounces directly back into your eye. What you'd like to see is the light, the light hits the snowflake and bounces to the side somehow. And when it does that, you don't really see the snowflake, even though it's there. 
and that has to do with placement of the lights. Again, like I say, use those. Those are fog lights. They, at least they, I think they used to call them that. For <laughs> for divers, this is what we're dealing with, but it's considered backscatter in the in the photo, right? Exactly. That's called backscatter when you um, you place your your strobe so that the light comes out of the strobe, hits particles in the water, and reflects directly back onto the sensor, back into your, your camera lens onto the sensor, versus kind of, you're trying to, that's called the angle of incidence, right? So the, you want to get that angle of incidence so that the light ref, hits those particles, but, but reflects to the sides of your focal, of your focal point or your lens, right? Yeah, and, and this can be kind of a, a, a bit of a bit of a craft in and of itself. It is. Of, I mean, uh, of learning photography. Yeah, especially underwater. It's one of those things, I mean, it's really, really um, emphasized and amplified underwater, this effect. You can get it, I mean, it'll happen topside too, but underwater, because you have so much in the atmosphere in between you and your subject, you know, in... On the surface, you don't have that so much. But if you ever have like a, a day where there's a lot of little, even the little uh, dandelion things that blow in the air or cottonwood or anything that's in the air uh, floating around, if you hit it with a flash and you don't have those flashes directed, so they're not really pointing at the subject, they're kind of pointing to the lateral sides, you know, the, the outsides of the subject. You've you got them pointing outwards away from the center of where you're shooting. Uh, you'll miss them. But if you point it at it, which is more likely what you do on the surface, you'll catch that stuff in the air as well. And then, yes, it's called backscatter. Yeah. That's what we're trying to minimize when we take strobes underwater and we work with their placement. And that's why you see you know, professional underwater photographers, uh, they'll get those strobes out there a little ways to the to their sides. And then when even when they're at the sides, they're pointed away. So they kind of make a little, if you took a, you call it the cone of the flash or the cone of light from the strobe, the cones of light that emanate, this big circular cone that emanates, kind of intersects in the in between the two strobes on the left and right sides. Is that making sense to you? Yeah, so that if uh, there was a reflection of, off of anything, it's hitting, but it's the angle, like shooting a pool ball. Exactly. It's going to angle off and away rather than directly right back at. Exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about. The uh, That angle of incidence will, won't be like a direct back into the lens it'll go off to the side of the lens um and and that's for the particulate in the water now the light that hits the subject will come into the lens because the subject is is a lot bigger number one but um you're just trying to get a little bit of those those cones of light to intersect together right at your subject and cover cover that subject it's interesting the uh you know the, the camera in reality, it's just a pretty simple little device, right? It's There's an eye that opens and closes, and it captures the light coming through it. And often, like, a bad picture is, you know, considered a mistake, but it's really the camera's just doing what the camera's doing and right. what you're doing with it, right? And then the, the better you become as a photographer, 
And the more you learn your tools, you learn how to manipulate what used to be a mistake for you to, to work to your advantage yeah. to capture different creative photos, which is really the big game that, you know, I'm starting to find out what photography really is. Right. I mean, I, I think you put that really well. The, uh, the whole idea is you are a little bit more masterful of the light than the light, you know, dictating your shot. You kind of use what you got and, and pull off something unique that, um, you can only do when you understand what's going on, you know? And again, underwater with strobes, we have to, uh, make sure that that angle of incidence is going to shoot those, those light rays away from our lens. They're going to bounce not onto our focal plane. Welcome back to the Great Dive Underwater Photography Wide Angle Podcast, everybody. The- You're here with <laughs> Ansel Jamesy. <laughs> oh, I don't know about Ansel. Ansel's a, it's a great name. It's a it's a German name. Am I am in I a, correct in that? It's a German in name. In a world in a world <laughs> no of world. Uh, good underwater wide angle photography. In a world, I'm uh, I've got crayons and I'm drawing a stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Don't sell yourself short. It's a. Uh, I mean, you're you're gonna have those experimental dives, right? The more dude, you, dude, I, I I hear you, man. Yeah. I, I'm 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 digging it. I uh, I'm I'm determined to learn the craft no matter how long that takes it's a lifelong craftsmanship uh apprentice program that Exa- well it, it kind of is it, i mean this is uh, i've i've like learning good photography i i don't want to just like have a you know buy a, a $10,000 camera rig mm-hmm. throw it in automatic in in let the camera take pictures for me. Like I want to learn the craft. I'm I set myself up for the long journey, the long master's journey of, you know, Zen and the art of archery type yeah. of thinking of of, yeah. you know, knowing the tool, knowing how to breathe with the tool in your hand, and the pictures are going to come to you. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm enjoying that. Because, I mean, I've been at this game for. About thirty years already. This is just a, a new little aspect of it. I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't want to just rush right into it just to have a wall of pictures I've taken. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, that's uh, to me that's a noble approach to it, and and that's where you're really gonna get um, something valuable out of the underwater photography, and and you'll stick with it. I mean, it's just like diving, isn't it? Isn't well, this, exactly. This is what I like yeah. about you know talking with you over all these years versus talking to a lot of people that have nice photos. The difference with you is when you look at the photo, you can talk to me about how you took it, yeah, and how that image is that image versus myself and cameras you know growing up it's i don't know you hold the camera up you push the little <laughs> push, button thingy push a button and then uh, button and then the, the picture comes out <laughs> we're button pushers yeah yeah well it's a line follower versus a cave diver and a, a button push pusher versus a photographer kind of thing so yeah yeah there's I'm a, with you. there's an artist artist what is the word there's an artistry to to about any endeavor you undertake so Photography is a great one to uh, get into. It also gives you that reward of the shot and the memory and um, hopefully something something that evokes a, a good 
emotion. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, you wanted to tell a story. You wanted to, you know, hit somebody's feelings somewhere and yeah. do something with it. Create a a mystery or an awe or a shock or a bewilderment or an excitement. You know, that's that's what you want your photos to right. do. Right, or stirs up a memory or something yeah, to that yeah. effect. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we're trying to do. But sometimes the water doesn't want to uh, give us ideal conditions. Exactly. And I have a story here from Michelle Manson from housingcamera.com and their blog about shooting wide angle and bad visibility. And uh, she's got some, I mean, she's uh, up diving up in the uh, West Coast, like the Pacific Northwest Coast. And um, she runs into a lot of the same issues that we have of being in what would be considered dirty water. And she gives us, you know, five good little tips for being able to get some photos. Um, Even though, you know, you first get in and you're like, oh, man, this is bad. We should just bail. This is a a way that I can still get down and actually utilize my tools to come away with not only some really amazing photos from time to time, but unique ones that the environment you know, plays with the light in a completely different way that you get a shot that you would never be able to get in really clear visibility. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a great little article. Um, and that, just FYI, that, that's a great uh, website for a whole lot of different information on underwater photographer, photography, I should say. www.housingcamera.com, one word. So... When I first looked at my photos, and uh, as I was waiting, like, son for, of as a I, bitch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> as I was waiting for the page uh, for eBay to load for me to <laughs> to, to, to sell it, sell the whole rig off, you know, um, I also, you know, started realizing, you know, I've got this tool that Brandon told me about of Lightroom. It's a great tool. And as I dropped dropped a couple of photos into Lightroom, I realized, okay, I I, I captured a shot, but I, but in 2022, I would have to venture to say that the majority of photos you see that are professionally done, rarely did it end with the clicking of the shutter. Oh yeah, there's always post or 99.9% post the the thing is if you are or were a professional photographer or or even a you know an avid amateur photographer why would you not uh polish the photo where you can and and lightroom allows you to do that allow you know post-production so many things can be uh used so many tools can be used to just polish it up get rid of little distracting objects in the frame um change the the you know especially shooting raw you can change the temperature which i like to do a lot you know i'm not a big fan of that green toxic looking water you know sometimes that we get in bad viz or when I say toxic looking, it's just like a weird green color, right? Well, yeah. For yeah. the generally, I would say in in fresh water, green is is often normal, but it's mm-hmm. it's not what you want in a photo, right? Now, now she on this because of the color of some of the marine life she's taken, 
the green is a perfect backdrop. Well, I, I if, would, if you go check if you go check this article yes, out, right? I would. Because you've got color contrast with that green. You know, when it, when you're playing with reds and oranges, you know, it balances things out really, really nice. Oh, absolutely. But in but in fresh water, generally, I would say, yeah, I, I would like that blue. Right, and I would venture to say that it wasn't green when she, it was more of a brown, um, and she changed. You know, she's she's cooling that temperature down a wee bit. Right. Okay. You know? Yep. I got gotcha. you. So get rid of that brown. Nobody wants any of that garbage. And you cool it down, and the brown starts to turn to a green, to an aqua, to a blue, and you get it right in the middle. Sometimes, you know, get it. Just get it where you like it, where it appeals to your eye. I mean, sometimes you want to represent it actually as you you dived it, and sometimes you want it to be appealing to the eye, to to be more like what you had in mind when you when you took the image, when you snapped the image, and you said, I, you know, this is the one I want to hang on my wall, but I don't want a brown watered photo, you know. Right. You've captured the 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 necessary elements. And right. then post production is is for the professional to put out a image that isn't exactly what he saw, but it's it's cleaned up, yeah, as to how he wants to present the shot. It's kind of like you know the like the finish work in in carpentry. I mean, if you were yeah. a finished carpenter, you wouldn't just cut a piece of trimming around a beautiful cabinet set that's leaving gaps. Right, that that, that last work mm-hmm. is caulking in the seams and cleaning it all up so it's a it's beautiful from every way you look at it right it, that's a good analogy it's uh it's that final work that staining the, the sanding maybe a little bit of the rough edges and and it's it's just polishing that piece of work you did and that's the same with with uh, you know lightroom in post that's what that's what it's called. It's called post-production. Most photographers just call it post. So working with photos and post is, is about taking all the photos you took. And, and this is one of the, the advantages we have nowadays with digital is, you know, film's cheap, as I say. You, film's cheap. You've got, a, you've got a card that can hold, you know, a thousand images so you can go down there and snap away with different settings, different placements of yourself, different, you know, p- different uses of the light and come back to post and, and let's see what we've got. And then you can go through and say, I like this one and go in and polish it up. But she says that her favorite edit tool is the graduated filter. Mm-hmm which works well to reduce exposure, highlights, and whites of backscatter. Yeah, I've, I use that quite a bit as well, especially when the lights are coming from the side. and uh, So you've got your lights out at the side, and a lot of times, you know, like in the really bad viz, you can, you can get it so that light hits the subject and goes right in. Um, you're looking for that angle of incidence, so it's, it's almost a straight-in shot. But typically... Like I'll tilt, tilt those lights away slightly from center to get that angle of incidence again. And when you do that, you'll you'll see a little bit of the light coming coming in from the sides. And the graduated filter allows you to um, like darken the highlights, reduce the the focus and the clarity on those 
those, but it's graduated. So it's only at the very edges. And then as you come towards the middle, the filter really has no little to no effect in the middle on your subject, which is what you're trying to do. So you're trying to get rid of that, that's the light on the side of the images. And that's one, one now way she says, you're going to do it. She also says that the radial filter has become an amazing tool at yeah. minimizing how much the backscatter shows up in the background by selectively placing circles in areas that you cannot do globally and need a little bit more exposure and light reduction. Exactly. Yeah, that's the radial one is great for like faces and whatnot. Like um, sometimes if you don't use your uh, your strobe, which is which is another way to get get images in bad viz. The strobe can be your friend in bad viz, and it can be the enemy in bad viz. Yeah, because you can shoot slightly underexposed and then come into Lightroom and, and bring it back out. Right. Change oh, yeah, texture, yeah. You know, so you can, you can, if you really want to, like, tune in somebody's face so you can tell who they are underwater, that's helpful. As well as, as anything else you want to get in and uh, manipulate a little bit, get rid of something or add a little some something to. Um, the radial is great. And she says that the general exposure overall, by reducing that, you can get rid of some of that backscatter. Oh, yeah. Which is the tool that I generally have used the most. But going in and using like that uh, linear and uh, uh, radial. Uh, radial filter, uh, yeah. this is new to me. And the brush. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Like the amount of resources you have in Lightroom is unbelievable. Lightroom's amazing. Compared to like here. a lot of like the free editing software is strictly okay. You can do some general exposure reductions, but you don't have the intricate tool and detail of what Lightroom's going to give you. Absolutely. Yeah. Lightroom is like the pro's choice uh, as far as going in and fixing photos or small little aspects very quickly it's not photoshop uh in the sense of photoshop is extremely powerful software that you can basically make it into a completely different photo you know where the big mistakes can be addressed <laughs> you know if you've got right. that one photo that's like oh my god i i captured the freaking goblin shark right and and you're you know it's like Your when, when you've got an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend, right, and you want to get rid of them out of the picture, usually right. go to this Photoshop, is, right? This is this is me standing in front of the Grand Canyon with with, with my, my arms arm, with my arm just out to the side. Now, see, you could fix that. You could get you put your arm on, you know, on. You could fix that to like it's nothing. You could Photoshop a tree in there, like I've got my arm around, around a tree. tree. You could you could Photoshop your arm in a normal position. You don't need to have your arm hanging up like uh, your arm yes, goes. Yes, that's that's not Lightroom, but Lightroom. Or you does could have, have your a... arm around uh, up on Ansel Adams' shoulder, like <laughs> me and Ansel were doing a little photo shoot. <laughs> right. So versus in Lightroom though, but Lightroom does have a little spot removal tool that she mentions. Yeah, spot removal is great for for big pieces of that backscatter stuff, or that that got in between you and your subject too. Yeah, it's great. Right, like like I had a shot, you know, of a uh, one of those 
bass down at the quarry, like back down and underneath yeah. those trees. But there was a big glob of algae goo yeah. that was kind of just right kind of in the way a little bit. So a spot remover, I could have used that so oh, that it wasn't yeah. distracting from the, the, the face of that fish looking right at me. Right. Spot remover is uh, a super easy tool that's it's a lifesaver. When it comes to that kind of stuff, you can get a little crazy with it. And also sometimes, you know, a lot of times there might be a little spot on the inside of the dome port or a spot on your lens or a spot on your uh, sensor. You have to get your sensor cleaned. You, you notice that a lot on topside photos. Like if you're doing a professional shoot and your uh, your sensor isn't absolutely 100% clean, which which it isn't after you start using it. So um, in post, you'll blow it up and you'll see a, just a, a, a spot that is a little lighter a little or darker off, than the yeah. rest. Yeah, it looks like, you know, something. It looks falling. like a little smudge. Right. So you, you have to just go in there and clean it up. So that can, that can be helpful. Um, you just don't want to rely on it like, I'll never clean my sensor or lens or dome port because I can just do it in post. It can get a little, it can get crazy if you let it get yeah. too bad. Yeah. Now, the, the second point she brings up is black and white conversion. Yeah. She says in some cases, such as diving with sea lions, and she's got a great little photo in here of, a, of this sea lion kind of coming and looking right at her. She says, the muck is so bad that it just helps to shut off your strobes completely or your photos look like snow is coming down. Yeah. In these cases, you can play around with your editing program with black and white conversion. Yeah, there's just too much stuff in the water for basically any light. <laughs> it just keeps, it'll reflect every little bit uh, back into this, back into the sensor, so. So, for instance, we were on the, the bow of that second shipwreck, and everybody wants to go look at the pilot house, and everybody wants to go look at the ship's wheel, and everybody has this innate need to swim into the pilot house and stand in there pretending like they're driving the boat. Right. So in that case, get away. everything's going to get blown <laughs> out, right? <laughs> yeah, get away. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. But is this is this a place where black and white conversion could be used? Yeah, I mean, um, we, here I'll uh, share my screen again. There's a little bow shot right there, but um, can you see that? Oh, well, nope, you haven't seen that yet. I have to go one more step. Yep, now I okay, can. Okay, so and then you just on on Lightroom, it's super simple. You just go up to black and white, and it'll convert it immediately. Or you can go into um, the color sliders, the color grading, and the, on the whoops, the color sliders right there, and just start removing colors one by one. Like if you want to get rid of that green, boom, you grab the teal and slide it over. You slide the saturation over, yellows, and doing this kind of thing, working with these tools, starts to uh, you start to learn what's what uh, area of the light spectrum you're seeing when you see these colors up on the screen. You know, a lot of times it, you, you think it's a blue or whatever, and it's yellow you're taking out, or, you know, the oranges or the reds or whatever. But you see how, you, and if you notice, I still got blues in there. 
right right on the gloves and you can you can crank that up you can change the uh luminance which is the brightness of that particular color go light dark whatever but you can you can get some different effect you know interesting effects like that and change it up you can make it all black and white so we with reducing basically four colors we made that a, a, a black and white completely black and white monochrome f- photo but if we want to add a little bit at a time we can we can make it uh, start bringing it back yeah, in, yeah. a little you know it's a little more artsy there it doesn't have to be all that blue color know what i'm saying yeah so and, and it looks like a totally different right you know color but a, a, a great picture again yeah, nice little little shot. But you can see on that too. My uh, especially on my right side, it's still shooting TTL on those those shots. So glad I figured that out. But uh, I did end up getting, you know, a bunch of shots where the right side had that little bit of blown out light coming in. The third tip she gives us is to set your settings. Set your settings. Damn it. <laughs> She says, one of the good things about bad visibility is the amazing colors we get, ranging from brown to that toxic green, which for photos gives us amazing background colors. So don't rule out bad viz and be bummed about not having that blue background we all crave. She says, uh, you'll want to light meter the water column and set your settings for that because sometimes when we have bad visibility, the particles in the water will actually block out any sunshine that is trying to penetrate and almost give us a day night dive. So she says that in Monterey, where she currently is, they're having some bad viz with some heavy particles in the water. But even if we, uh, uh, that are there, even if they have sun, she says that the sunlight that the, she does have can't penetrate her starting settings, which have been 1, 125 F8, and ISO 320, and she adjusts from there. And this is one of the things that I was struggling with over the weekend right. is those initial settings. That dive one was so frustrating for me <laughs> that, that, that being able to have that talk on the boat between dives and knowing where I'm going to start from get that f-stop that you want, get that shutter speed that's working well, and then adjust that ISO on the fly. Yeah. Which I didn't have it on on the first one. Again, it, this is this is me committed to learning the manual. I get like, it. Like at the beginning, I'm dialing everything, spinning them all. So there's no consistency whatsoever. Right. As I'm starting to hone it in, like you got to have to have something core Right. You can't play with everything. It's like a new diver struggling with buoyancy and struggling with trim. So they get out, they, they put on one ankle weight, take yeah. another one off, <laughs> add four pounds of trim, put on a butt weight, put a hula hoop uh, inner tube underneath uh, their uh, left arm, right? add on a pinky weight, you know, and then, then they're perfect. And it's like, okay, which one of those 15 things that you just added yeah. was the right one? Too many variables, uh, especially when you're learning it is too much to handle gets too complex so yeah and it's great and that's why you know to say things like always and never in photography is is ludicrous you can't you can't do that you never can do that (laughs) you can never say always i hate absolutes so never use 
absolutes. Um, but yeah, especially in photography. I mean, we have all these rules and then the idea with the rules is they give you a starting point to go out and learn photography and then learn how these rules actually work to create a, a great image or the image you're, you're trying to uh, create in your mind, you know. Um, the idea is it's just like Zen. You learn, you learn it all. You master those rules and then you, you get rid of it. Okay, you get rid of rules. And you just right, start like for a long time, you know, shooting with the limited capability of the cameras I had in the past, like primarily like yeah, a, a GoPro. There's a lot of environments where I get into where like I'm never going to be able to get what I want right. out of this, right? Just environment, the camera, the mm-hmm. tool, until you know, I, I finally get into a place where this is not ever the the photo I would have expected, but I could make this one work just out of creativity, right? Right, and working working in a, some kind of software. Um, yeah. And I was, again, I go back to, I like, you know, in the beginning to get people shooting, at least trying to shoot manual so, and then playing with the settings. But that doesn't mean you always have to shoot in manual. You can go down and, you know, shoot in like aperture priority, which means you set the aperture and the camera will will adjust the other parameters. In other words, if you put the ISO on on uh, auto, it'll adjust the ISO and shutter speed. Right. Okay. So if you're if the lens you're using, right. you know, uh, is you know the clearest in an F8. Right. That's you can basically spot. lock it lock mm-hmm. it to that. Mm-hmm. And then let the camera adjust the other stuff, but you're, you're well. You can adjust the stuff. ISO even. I mean, the ISO is a, you can get in there and set that where you want it. So basically, it's going to adjust the shutter speed only. And I say use the you know adjust the ISO because you can get pretty particular. Like I don't, I want to get the best quality image as far as the lack of noise and the sharpness, and that a lot of that has to do with the ISO setting. So you go in and say, I'm not going to go any higher than, say, 500 or 400 or whatever. And uh, then you let the camera go ahead and adjust the the shutter speed based on the available light. And that's kind of good to do um, if you are working in a place where the light can change. Like when I'm shooting a, a, a soccer game with my kids or even other people that are my kids. Anyway, I'm shooting a soccer game and there's clouds blowing over, high wind, you know, it's it's windy up high and the clouds are blowing fast. Uh, cloud- yeah, we get that out in the out in the lakes. Right, where, exactly. Where like you got like a, a lot of light coming through and then all of a sudden all that light's gone and then it comes back and then it goes and it's back and it goes. Exactly. And the, and when that's happening, if you've got to adjust a parameter each time a cloud blows over, it gets annoying. It gets really annoying. So you you Set it to aperture priority. Set your ISO where you want to keep it, and then let it adjust the um, the shutter speed. Now you can you can change it to shutter priority. So you set the shutter speed, and it'll adjust the um, aperture and ISO if you wanted to. You can set the ISO, but you get what I'm saying. So there yeah, are yeah. modes that are uh, yeah. Because if you were shooting, yeah. If, I mean, if you were shooting um, a race car, right. Right, you'd want the shutter priority set so you can capture the stillness. If you want the still, if that's what you're going for, right? If you're going, right, if you for, want a little blur, yeah, you, you can yeah, still. Yeah, I get you. I get you. The, you know, set that shutter. 
and you're right, a fast-moving object, you really want to be in control of that, that shutter speed and uh, set it to you get the desired effect you're looking for, whether it's you know freezing a, a wheel on a race car or prop on an aircraft to putting that blur in, that motion blur. That makes it look like it's going really fast. Right, gives yeah. the, uh, the speed, the, the movement aspect. Fourth, let me read that. The fourth tip she gives us is adjust your strobe power. Another tip when shooting wide in bad visibility is you tend to not need as much firepower on those strobes. So I tend to dial down the power because if they're too bright, you get that weird haze blowback. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The weird haze blowback, man. It's and that's the issue that you were saying that yeah. you had on that one that you had yeah. accidentally knocked into TTL, TTL yeah. instead of being able to dial down the power that's like it. you had on the other one. Yeah, I had the power, the power adjusted down low, but there's a selection that's, you know, manual setting or let TTL work do the thing. So, and the last one she gives us is uh, CFWA practice, and now she's specifically talking about closely focusing on an object but still shooting wide, wide angle, angle, right? Like she's trying to take a picture of this fish or this anemone but still capture all the background as well, right? Not ma uh, macro close-up. So that CFWA practice, she says, so what do you shoot when it is low visibility? She says, great thing is you can shoot anything just to practice, Find a subject that is set up for a CFWA shot with the subject in the front and the water in the background. Plant yourself and start shooting. And I think the moral of that story is you got to find enjoyment in the practice and the journey and, and not just get all pissed off because <laughs> you, you did the one day of diving and you don't have a whole library of photos to, to make it look like you've been shooting pictures for 20 years. Oh, yeah, agreed. I mean, that's that's with almost anything, but especially it's emphasized with underwater photography. You <laughs> you have to go out and shoot pictures. You're not just going to grab a camera, jump in. And again, diving is one of those things. You don't know, you know, it's like a box of chocolates, man. You don't know what you're going to get. Mama always you said never it. Know. You never know what you're going to get. And like, and like, you know, just last weekend, I was all hyped up on the idea of getting some great vis because typically we have great vis and uh, when we didn't have it you have to okay rethink and readjust your your whole um being i guess and and get out right. there and work because you, you mean you're out there yeah if your your knowledge and your tools and your ability is so limited that it's a complete waste of time boy that makes for a terrible day oh you won't be able to roll with it yeah Right. But when we got in the water, it was like, ah, oh, this is kind of disappointing. But, I, I mean, I tell you, for two dives in shallower than 100 feet, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that was one of the funnest days of diving I've had in a long time because I was adding a new element of learning and practicing and something new, still being, you know, needing to have the, the focus and awareness of being a teammate with you, uh, being aware of other divers in the water. You still got to be aware of your depth. You still got to be aware of your gas, your time, your control, your buoyancy, your awareness. And this adds another element in it. And I got to pull off a couple decent shots. Right. You know, it, it, it made for a really fun day. Right. It's that one. On what would be like considered two meh dives 
Exactly. Yeah, they were two mad dives. They they were milk run dives that we had done, I mean, hundreds of times, literally. So, uh, yeah, when you bring a camera, it's gonna it's gonna dress up your dive a bit. It's gonna challenge you a little bit more, but it's also gonna make it more fun and, and interesting, and give you a little something to do and practice and work on um, during the dive. Versus, okay, I've been here before, I've seen it blow bubbles, you know, let's get out of here, kind of thing. Yeah, trying to work within your environment and get the most out of it, even though it's not ideal. I mean, otherwise, you just, what are you going to do, swim around that tugboat 10 times? <laughs> just, yeah. just, uh, just to do it? I mean, I guess there's, uh, you know, enjoyment in that as well. But I like what we were doing of trying to, trying to figure out a way to capture a cool picture in those conditions. And, and, um, th- and then this you know, gives you an understanding of there's so much to learn with that camera. And then there's so much to learn with what you can do in post-production too, of, of all, all the tools that you have there to, to take what would be just a mediocre day on the water and turn it into, man, I'm coming away with some really cool stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, that is one of the great things of underwater photography. You can go in and you know, I'm always attempting to pull off this, like, I want the perfect photo. I have been in search of the perfect photo for 25 years where I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up and I'm, my mind is just going to explode because I've nailed it. I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it yet, <laughs> but. Well, you, you know. got to listen, Brando, that's because. It's time to go back to school. And maybe you need to go back to school I'm, a little bit too. I'm always at school. I'm always learning in this field, brother. Today's episode of Great Dive Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Manscaped People, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. And it's back to school time, and we want to make sure that you and your kids you're sending off to college pack the essentials to have the best year yet. The Manscaped 4th Generation Performance Package is just that, isn't it, Brando? Hell yeah. If you're looking, if you had a smooth sack summer and you want to continue that, that feeling of freshness and sleek aerodynamic movement, if you will, <laughs> you'll go back to school with the right tools. That's right. And you got to be ready for whatever is in your daily schedule this year, no matter how it is. It's the perfect package for your package, people, and it includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Fellas, go for the old valedictorian, if you know what I mean, of ball trimming <laughs> and join the six million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, including old James E. and older Brando, by going to manscaped.com, put in the code TGDP. 20% off, free shipping. What more could he ask for? I mean, do you want them to come to your house and do the trimming for you? Is that what we need? <laughs> you won't need us to because this package includes the Lawnmower 4.0. It'll give you the confidence to do anything you desire, and you can do it yourself. New year, new you people. You might uh, screw around and attend Smooth Balls University this fall. <laughs> and don't forget, James, once you're aerodynamically trimmed up clean and smooth you'll want to uh, house those uh naughty bits in some of manscapes manscapes so you'll want to house your naughty bits 
in uh, Manscaped boxers. Absolutely. And uh, if you buy that, housing. if you buy that package, you'll get some boxers. You'll also get the nice little travel bag, the shed travel bag. So you'll have one of those as a as a comfy little uh, front pack for your balls, <laughs> and the other's a little backpack for all your goods, you know, uh, to take into your dorm room. So there you go, people. Get twenty percent off free shipping with code TGDP at manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off, Brando, and free shipping if they put in the code TGDP at manscaped.com. This year, people graduate with the degree in clean balls from Whoa. Manscaped. PhD. <laughs> Dr. James Mott <laughs> will do his final thesis on Smooth Sack Summer. All right, everybody. Well, uh, that was a great little article from Michelle Manson, the author. She's got a bunch of little blogs over there at housingcamera.com. She says uh, she's uh, just a gal with her camera hoping to dive today. And uh, you can also follow her on Instagram at Manson Photos at M-A-N-S-O-N-F-O-T-O-S. Manson And uh, she's got a lot of really a lot of really cool shots. So uh, I, I dig I dig her photography. Yeah, really nice stuff. Really nice stuff. And great advice on uh, getting those uh, close focus, wide angle shots, which are, I mean, uh, pulling those off in the bad viz, that's a, it's a great way to make use of jumping in the water and find out the viz is less than what you had planned on. And uh, she she gave some great tips. I thought it was great. A really good article, James. Good job. Yeah, I did too. I, I always love I love these kind of articles that, that come come from a perspective of lifelong divers that want to stay in the game for decades of their life. They don't want to burn out. They want to keep getting better. And it's in a recreation that we do where, where it's so easy to only want the glory days. To, to have the understanding and the mindset of you can make any day underwater a really good one if you've got the right mindset. I, I don't have anything to add to it. I mean, actually, I do have something to add to that, James, because uh, perusing the website, there's a, there's a lot of great articles um, that are perfect for whether you're a novice just getting into underwater photography or intermediate or even an advanced underwater photographer there's a lot of great advice on there um, so take a look at it all right should we uh sign some log books on this dive yes today? yes dr mott let's sign some log books brando uh, uh your graduated filter today has my radio filter spiraling whoa thanks for a great dive that's music to my ears Let's not lose focus, though. But um, <laughs> All right, everybody. We will talk to you next week. Go take some pictures. Same, same shutter speed. Same F-stop. Blue, blue, blue.